lately. I've, I've, in fact, uh, there's been several things on my heart lately. A couple of times, you know, Cheryl will look at me and think, you know, what's wrong with you? And I've had other people tell me, what's wrong with you? What are you thinking? Are you okay? Well, yeah, I'm okay, but i got a lot of things on my heart. So the thing about it is I want all of you to realize that when you are around a person, even though you may be their mate, you still don't know what's on their heart. You don't know what's bothering them. And so God told us to do one thing to everybody because he, doesn't, he knows we don't know what's on the other person's heart. So what did he tell us to do for each other? Love each other. That's what he said. Just love. If I do things that you don't understand, if I say things that you don't understand, just love me. You know, because that's what God commanded you to do. If you do things I don't understand, I don't know your heart. I don't know the problems and trials and tests you've been through this week. You know, some people have been through tremendous trials and tests this week. And so I don't know your heart, and I don't know where you're coming from. So God just told me to love you. But... Yesterday, as we were uh, getting ready to go from the healing school, I thought, well, we better stop and fill the car up with gas. And I looked up at the gas signs, and I hadn't looked at them all week. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what has happened? I have never seen gas go up this much in one week in my life. And then we go home last night, and at racetrack it was 249, and we come back to church while we're going, it's 256. I thought, what is, I mean, these demons of greed. So I don't know what's fixing to happen to the world. But I know that there's fixing to be some things that if you're a member of the church, you better really get your faith strong. Because that prophet out GLC the other day, I had a man here in his church that speaks Spanish, reads and writes Spanish, take this prophecy, and he spent two or three weeks with this thing trying to interpret it to me. He put it in writing for me. He spent a lot of time because this prophet that came from Mexico, he could not speak a word of English. But he came, I mean, you would never think about an old beggar-looking guy, you know, half his teeth missing or two-thirds of them missing, you know, just a really a scroungy-looking guy that would walk from somewhere in Mexico to Midland, Odessa, and said, I come to see Al Cooper. He's the owner of GLC. And he said, I have a message from God for you. And so Al put him on GLC one evening for 30 minutes. His wife was there. And I listened to it. And uh, we got to, went to dinner that night out there, and he told me when we got there, he said, I had a very unique experience in this prophet. And so he said, I put him on. <clears throat> he said he was from God. Doesn't that just sound like God? He didn't send a guy from seminary with a three-piece suit on. You know, he sent an old guy with uh, uh, eating locusts and wild honey out there saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is coming. And who, now that's some stupid guy out of the wilderness out here. You know, he couldn't really be from God. God don't do things like that. Well, let me tell you, he does things that... Exactly opposite from what we think he would. So anyway, as this man interpreted this prophecy, and of course I heard what the man that was a Spanish-speaking man and an English-speaking man to a degree, I heard him give his interpretation of what the Spanish man was saying. 
But when this man that speaks and reads and writes and speaks Spanish here, that goes to this church, when I gave that to him, that DVD, and asked him to interpret it for me, he said a lot of times the man that was speaking Spanish and English didn't interpret the Spanish the original man spoke properly. And so, but I still came out with the same conclusion from both of them. And this is the conclusion. That shortly... There's going to be a huge earthquake starting in California all the way to the northeast across America. Are you ready for that? What are you going to do this week, tomorrow, next week, three weeks from now, three months from now, six months from now? If the news, CNN, comes on and it says they're the worst devastating earthquake starting in San Francisco or L.A. or wherever, or the whole east or the whole west coast of California just fell off into the Pacific Ocean. Millions have died. And the earthquake is opening up the biggest one we've ever seen. It's come all the way across, to all the way up to the northeastern states. And all the roads are destroyed. Power plants are all down. Nuclear reactors are all down. What are you going to do? Are you ready for that? And then he said there's going to be a huge fire in different places in the United States. One of them he named would start just west of middle of Odessa and said the huge eruption of fire and I thought to myself, there ain't nothing in the world in Midland, Odessa, west, that'll burn. How would you have a huge fire out there if you set a city on fire? It couldn't be very big. Until I was down in East Texas preaching down there, and I told a man about it, and he said, oh, my goodness. I said, what does that mean? He said, I have in my computer... All of the underground caverns, because I've managed and worked with those of all the propane storage in West Texas. He said they go from just outside of the middle of Odessa, 186 miles west and 80 miles from north to south. And there's millions of barrels of liquid propane stored under the ground out there. You think that wouldn't be an eruption? What do you think, what kind of a fire do you think that would be? If the ground broke open and that was ignited, liquid propane will only stay liquid at 40 degrees below zero or at extremely high pressure. So they've got it stored under pressure, which is what they have. If the ground breaks open, then that pressure cannot be 150 to 200 PSI, it'll be atmospheric. When it breaks open to atmospheric pressure, that propane will immediately freeze, just like your air conditioning system works. And as it freezes and bursts out, it will immediately begin to thaw out, and millions of barrels of propane will become millions of cubic feet of air that's saturated with a burnable fuel. And all you got to have is one spark, and that whole thing will blow up like a nuclear bomb. 
and West Texas will be no more. Are you ready for that? <clears throat> but do you know what he said? He was also asked a question. He said, the Lord told me to tell you, this is the only thing that will stop this. And I have all ears when he said that. And you know what he said? If the church will repent and turn from her wicked ways, I will not let this happen. You wonder why I can have a heavy heart? The name of the message today, is it okay for a Christian to sin? Is it okay for a Christian to sin? Well, let's see what the Lord has to say about that. I was told too many years I was just an unworthy sinner saved by grace, and so I didn't see anything wrong with a little sin here, a little sin there. But I now realize I was living in total deception. And that's where the church is today. Only the church today is not living in a little sin. We are living in gross sin. We are lying, we are stealing, we are cheating, we are committing adultery, fornication. We're doing everything wrong. Words that come out of our mouth, foul words, words of profanity, everything out of a Christian's mouth. Is it okay for a Christian to do those kind of things? Well, let's start off today and... Let's go to the Word of God to start off with. I've had lots of people, it seems like also I've had so many people ask this question. Does Christians have to be perfect? After all, we're not perfect. We can't be perfect. You know, we just have to sin a little once in a while. Well, I'm I'm here to tell you today that's a wrong mentality to have. And Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to start for the very first scripture. Matthew 5. Father, in the name of Jesus, as this message that you've laid on my heart today, as, this, as you speak these words out of your word, I ask you to touch every person's heart. And Lord, there's only a handful of people here today, so I know these CDs and DVDs will go throughout this country. So I'm asking you to touch the hearts of the men's and women that hear this message, that it may change them forever. So they will begin to do what you say in your word and not what they've heard, unless what they've heard lines up with the word. Lord, I rebuke every devil of hell, that no demon of hell would steal one word of this message today out of anybody's heart or mind. And that you will send the Holy Ghost today to lock these words in our heart and our mind so we will not sin against you. And I praise you and thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 5.48 Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, people will try to explain away what he's trying to tell you there. But what is it we don't understand about be perfect, as God is perfect? Now then, do you think God had even just a little bit of sin in him? No. 
Not at all. So if God had no sin in him, none whatsoever, is it okay for you to sin as a Christian? Absolutely not. And before this day is over, we will confirm every one of these things everywhere. Now we go to 2 Timothy 2. I want to go from Matthew to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Now then, the word is the only thing we're going to be judged about. It makes no difference what you think or I think. It only matters what the word says. So you can do anything you want to. You can say anything you want to. But as long as what you say does not line up with what's written in this book, I'm not interested in what you have to say about sin or sickness or disease or anything else. I don't care what you think, but I do care what this book says. And so 2 Timothy 2, let's start out with uh, verse 19. 2 Timothy 2, 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. You can't change that. Nothing you can do is going to change God's foundation. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Now, you better know that he knows that you're his. I'm telling you what's fixing to happen in America. What's going to come in America. The church is not going to enjoy what's fixing to happen in America. You're not going to like it. I didn't like yesterday when I looked up and saw the gas prices going up 40 cents in one week. I didn't like that. But I thought, I didn't like it when there was four hurricanes down in Florida at the same time either. And I didn't like it when one hit Pensacola here a while back and wiped it out to a degree. I don't like those things, but why do you think these things are happening? Because we, the church, are walking so far from God. It's amazing what's happening in the church. You know, the church, you know, when you see a church that's got thousands of people in it and they come to church and they come to church and jump and dance and all the kind of things they do and uh, nobody brings a Bible. There's something wrong with that church. And then when you look at them and see what they're doing, where they're living and living in sin, living with each other, not married to each other and everything else, I'm telling you, that's not the kind of church this book says we're supposed to be. It's a totally different church. This church, let's go on and see what this church says. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one, every one that nameth the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. <clears throat> you know what iniquity is? It's sin. So what is the church supposed to do with sin? Depart from it. We're not supposed to have anything to do with it. And then it says, it'll go on down to verse 21. It says, If a man therefore purge himself. Now, if. There's that big word, if. If a man purges himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and fit for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. Well, now, what if you don't? Purge yourself from evil. You're not going to be a pure, holy vessel that's fit for the Master's use. I see people all the time say, Oh, I would love for God to talk to me. I would love for Him to use me some way mightily. I would love to just pray a prayer of faith for somebody and see a miracle happen. Well, let me tell you. 
There's times you want to hear God's voice and times when you don't want to hear God's voice. There's times when you're doing something that he don't like and he talks to you. And he'll tell you something. Like that pastor that I was talking to you about once before that over at another church I spoke at one Saturday for five hours. He came to me at the intermission and he told me, I heard God's voice once myself. He was very fortunate because he had got into a disagreement with his wife. They wasn't on speaking terms. And then he goes down and goes shopping somewhere one afternoon or some, and meets an old sweetheart from high school sweetheart. And she had been married and divorced. And she comes running over and plants herself into him and hugs him real nice and tight. And then next thing she knows, she's got him at dinner. And the next thing she knows, she's got him in her bedroom upstairs at her apartment. How many of you know that's wrong for a pastor? Anybody in here don't know that's sin? There must be some of us don't know that's wrong. But I'm going to tell you, God confirmed it to him he was wrong because he says, I am getting ready to do something I know I'm not supposed to do. Now, don't you know, in that pastor's mind, he's already been to seminary. He is facing a call in bed with a woman. That's not his wife. And his wife's at home. He's got a little feeling in here. He knows what he's thinking to do is wrong. But he's living totally in the flesh right now. And he's going to do what the flesh wants to do. And all of a sudden, he's getting ready to go over here. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, and I'll just use a fictitious name, John. The Lord says, John, do you know what you're fixing to do is wrong? Now, how many would you like to hear him say that to you? Well, I'd, I'd hold up brother him tell me right there than after I commit the act, hadn't you? Guarantee. Or he might even call you something worse than that. You might be doing something and he says something really bad to you. Those are not what we want to hear God say, are they? No, it ain't, it ain't when he tells us, calls us something nasty that we, want, we don't want to hear those, do we? No, we, what we want to hear is say, well done, faithful servant. You done a good job for me last week. That's what you want to hear, right? Well, they get to hear him say those kind of things. Guess what you and me got to do? We got to do what the Word says. I mean, 100%. I mean, Sharon even told me something a while ago, if I understood this right, about communion and how you were taking communion and said something about she said something to God. How I'm not sure I understood that real quick. She said it in passing about how she's trying to take communion every morning first or something like this. And the Lord says, a yes after you take your vitamin. That's what he said. Huh? Oh, you're putting me first after your vitamin. Isn't that amazing? That kind of startled you, didn't it, Sharon? It really did. I am putting you first this morning, Lord. I am taking communion. He said, yes, sure you are. After you took your vitamin. You put me after the vitamin. It's amazing what he expects us to do. Good grief. What does he want? I'll tell you what he wants. He wants you to put him first, doesn't he, Sharon? And he got your attention, didn't he? Yes, that's what he wants. Aren't we glad the king is merciful? I'm going to tell you one preacher standing up here today, if he wasn't merciful, he'd already be dead. I guarantee you. And i got a feeling that maybe one or two of y'all might be in the same shape I'm in. And you all know that. So we're grateful for his mercy. And Lord, I thank you that your mercy is new every morning. I guarantee you, I'm grateful. But the Lord says there, 
that we're supposed to purify and cleanse ourselves from all iniquity and all sin, so we'll be a vessel of honor fit for his use. Now turn to Philippians chapter 4. Turn back to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I got a feeling that if the church does not repent and we do not fall back in where God wants us to fall back, I got a feeling I'm going to live to see something I really don't want to see in my lifetime. I can only imagine, I mean, I can only imagine the chaos that was in Florida when the hurricanes finished. Tens of thousands of homes were totally destroyed. I mean, you ever thought about us here? We don't think about that because we still go to work just like we did yesterday. But what if you had been one of those families down there that everything you had worked for, say you as a 50-year-old person, and everything you'd worked for was in that home and your car, and when it was over, you had no car left. It was crushed with trees. Your house was totally wiped away, and everything, every piece of clothes, everything you'd built and everything you'd bought, and you'd spent all your money and had no money in the bank. You're living payday to payday, and all of a sudden you have no job, no place to go, no place to work. The company you worked for was totally destroyed, and the place where you live totally destroyed. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, we think, gee, I got a nice home. A couple of them. You know, Cheryl, now we wonder whether we're going to stay in our city home or our country home. Isn't that amazing? You know, we're blessed. We're blessed because we've got a place to put our head. You know, we're, we're really, I'm thankful. You know, I, I am grateful. I mean, I think about my mother and dad when they went to West Texas in the oil boom. And here they are married. And I think about... Some women say, goodness, I might have to live in a trailer, a mobile home. I've had women say that to their husbands. I ain't coming up here to live with you because you ain't making enough money. But I think about mother. When dad and mom got married, dad went to West Texas to work in the oil field, and they bought a tent. And they had an apple box to sit on. Hey, a dirt floor. How many of you women ever lived in that? Not a single hand goes up. So if you've got a house to live in today, don't grumble. Don't complain. I mean, it took women. It took men to live like that. We have been super blessed and we grumble and complain. Oh my gosh, can't you provide better than that for me? Well, if you haven't lived in a tent with an apple box with a little tiny kerosene stove to cook for you and a baby, you ain't lived. Hey, I was raised up in a little dinky plank house down in Goldsway, Texas, three miles out in the country, that when the wind blew outside, it blew just as strong inside. <laughs> There was no running water in the house. I mean, I, one thing I didn't do, I didn't drink two or three cups of hot tea at night before I went to bed. 
because I knew if I got up and it was cold, I had to walk a hundred yards to the two-holer outside. And you didn't go out there unless you had to. Some of y'all might have lived in that yourself. Some of you may have been there. So when I got a home, I don't care if it's just a one bedroom. I got a house with a bathroom in it, and I got hot and cold running water. Baby, I'm happy. You know, I ain't got to have gold doorknobs. I am happy. I can be blessed. I can lay there and thank God for this beautiful bed I woke up in this morning. That I'm healthy. And my wife was laying there beside me, sound asleep. I thought, Lord, she's healthy. I'm healthy. Lord, we couldn't want no more than this. We couldn't want no more than this. And some people wake up grumbling. Oh, my gosh. Why don't you work harder so I can have a nicer car like so-and-so down the street? You know, instead of grumbling, you ought to be thankful for what you have. Because the time may be coming when where you live right now is going to be non-existent. I hope it doesn't. But all this is going to happen if it happens because of sin of the church, not the world. The sin of the church. Philippians 4, let's see what the Lord tells us we are supposed to do. These are just some of the things. Philippians 4, 4, which is a favorite verse of lots of people. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Did you get up this morning rejoicing, praising God? Praise the Lord. You're doing the right thing. It's easy to rejoice. Especially it's easy to rejoice if you have a job and you're making enough money to pay your bills and support you and your wife and your children and do it well. And some of you in here have those kind of jobs. And I'm grateful God's blessed you like that. But some of you don't. Some of you come up to me and say, I've got to have money to pay my rent this week. I'm not going to make it. You know, I, don't, I hadn't had anything to eat in three days, four days. I know some of you all don't know these people, but I do. I know some of these people. And these people, I give them money and I help them. And now I fully understand what the Lord says. It is much better to be able to give than to receive. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that part. I want to be on the end that's been grossly blessed so I can give to them that have need. But the Lord says rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. Then he says be anxious or be careful for nothing in verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known unto God. In other words, your supplication or your humble request to God. How many of us do things and don't do what the king just said right there? How many of us get up in the morning, we go do our thing. We don't ask God how we're supposed to do things today. We don't inquire of him. We don't read his word. We don't talk to him. We just go do what we want to do. We never... I mean, we get, something happens to us, we get sick. We don't even, as Christians, we don't even go to God and ask Him for healing. We don't even know enough about the Word to know He's a healer. Some of us are like I used to be as a Christian in church, even a Baptist Sunday school teacher and a deacon. I really never thought at first, even when I first became a deacon, I never thought about praying over everything. If I had a problem, stop and pray. I mean, give me a break. 
if you've never seen God do anything or never seen Him answer a prayer, why would you stop and ask Him for anything? If even the preachers didn't do that, you go out to eat. You and your wife goes out to eat with the pastor. And you sit down around the meal. And even the pastor don't even say grace. You just all dig in and start eating. I mean, if he's like that, then why should I say grace over my meal? You know, he's supposed to be the spiritual leader, right? Is that right? But some of them are not. But what's the word say do? Everything by what? By prayer. Does that mean when you sit down to eat something, Miss Bobby, you should pray over it? Absolutely. And some people say I go a little overboard, you know. But whenever I eat something and I pray over it, and then when I go to get a second course, I pray over it too. Or they bring me a glass of water, I pray over the glass of water, then they bring me a glass of tea, I pray over the glass of water, glass of tea. Then when they bring me a refill of my tea, I pray over it too, because I didn't bless that one. That was back there somewhere. It's just like this water right here. I know some of y'all don't bless your water. So I pray over this water and bless it all in the mornings so it'll be blessed to your body whether you bless it or not. Well, I know some of you just like I was. Some of you run up here and get a bottle of water. You never say thank you, Lord, for that water. And it's free. And you don't even thank Him for it. The day may come. That you'd be glad and you'd be very grateful to get water out of a ditch to drink it. You wouldn't drink it at all. I was reading in the scriptures the other night because of the sin of Israel. The women were discussing whose child they were going to eat first. Katie, you can't think about that, can you? You ain't never been that hungry, have you, girl? And you don't never want to get that hungry, do you? No. Can you imagine people getting so hungry that they would even think about killing one of their children to eat that child? Sure, you can't even think. You can't even go there, can you, girl? No, we ain't never had a hungry day. I mean, we've had a few days when we fasted and prayed and we know what it is to be a little bit hungry, but we ain't never been that hungry, have we, Ty? Not even close. But that day may come. I hope not. But it's only going to be turned away if the church does what the king's told us to do. This book is his owner's manual for you and me. We know that, don't we, Shelley? He wrote this book for you and me, didn't he, girl? And he expects you and me to honor it, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He don't respect your persons. He don't care where you are. He don't care if you're male, female, rich, or poor, or in between. Makes no difference with God. He holds every one of us accountable to this book. So he tells us that we're to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Unfortunately, you know, that it sometimes it may cause devastating things, depending on where you go. Because if you're a guy like I was, and I rejoiced in the Lord, walked into my workplace, my hands raised in the morning, praising the King. Prayed over people. Cancer happened. Got healed. People got healed. People got saved. Uh, miracles happened. All kinds of things. I mean, I prayed over every job I did. I mean, it became a routine thing. Can you imagine a place where you work? The guys that are around you say, oh, miracles are normal here. Why, why is the whole world, why is the whole, whole church not living right there? Because we're not doing these things God told us to do. 
I mean, if, if he does those kind of things for me in the workplace, when I wasn't even a pastor, I was just an engineer working. If he answered my prayers and done all these things and healed all these people, done all these wonderful things, if he do it for me, will he do it for you? Of course he will. But you're going to have to do the same thing I did. And this is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. You walk in the morning. Praise in the King. Somebody says, good grief. I have to walk in my hand and say, praise God this morning. Let thank God as a nut. Good. Praise the Lord. That's the beginning of not being afraid of man. I don't know about you, but I am not afraid of man. But I am certainly afraid of the king. I mean, I, I like living. I like being well. Do you know all he'd have to do is just withdraw his protective covering and the devils would get me? I don't, I don't want the devil to turn loose on me. It don't pay good dividends, does it? Not at all. But look what he said do after he says rejoice. And be careful for nothing. Let your requests, everything, everything, do everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let all your requests be made known unto God. And then look what he says in verse 8. Finally, brethren, finally, after he's told you all these other things in those verses. Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true? Now he's telling you what to think on, meditate on, look upon, talk about. What sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are lovely? And what sort of things are of good report? And if there be any virtue, that means moral excellence is what virtue means. Moral excellence. Clean and pure. Ethically, physically, spiritually. And if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, to do that, you've got to turn off the secular television. You've got to turn off the secular radio. You've got to stop reading the newspaper. You've got to stop reading magazines. You've got to stop looking at the Sears catalog. Isn't that amazing? you just about got to turn off the world today. The world is wicked. People in the church have got a real chore ahead of them. We, have, we are so far from what the church was when I was a young man. When I was a young man, I was raised up in a little country town of Goldsway, Texas, which has drastically changed, I will have to say, in these last 50 or 60 years. But in that little tiny town of Goldsway, there was about, I don't know, 20, I forget now, 22, 25 people graduated in my high school class. Not a very big class, but it wasn't a very big town. But there was not one single one of those people in that class had but one set of parents. We thought that was standard. You know, one mother, one father, one set of children, and that's the way it was. But out here at Northwest... The first year Tim went to Northwest, he came home at the end of the first year, or in the middle of the first year or something, he said, Dad, is there something wrong with us? I said, what do you mean? He says, Dad, nearly everybody in school has two, three, or four sets of parents. 
He said, there's something wrong with us? I said, no, son. We're right, and they're upside down. You want to know why there's such devastation in the world today? When a child don't know which parent to obey? And some parents are not even living with either of their original parents. Isn't that amazing? After three or four marriages and divorces, I've even seen children living with a mother or a father that was the second or third down the line. And, and some, of those, some of those men call some of those children their own children. But they're really not. They didn't birth those children. Somebody else did. And some of these people are living in the church. Many of them are. They don't know what holiness is. They don't, they don't know what this Bible says. They're not living there. We do not understand what sin is. Now then, let's go to 1 Peter 2. We'll go over to 1 Peter 2. We'll talk a little bit about some of these things that God told us when He says, Is it okay for the church to sin? Now, this is pretty hard to mess up. But there'll be somebody tried to explain this away. But this is when you have to go back to the Word. When people say, we are not perfect. It's impossible for us to be without sin. We're just humans. We're just flesh and blood. Well, if you keep saying you're flesh and blood and you keep walking in this flesh and blood, yes, you're going to sin. But you need to get over that. You need to stop being flesh and blood and you need to start walking in the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit or walk in the Word, then you'll stop sinning. You won't be caught in those sins. You'll see what the Lord says here. 1 Peter 2.21, the Lord clearly says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin. Who did no sin... Neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. He did no sin, and there was no guile, no deceit found in his mouth. Well, I'll tell you, if you're living in the flesh, if you're living in the flesh, those first two things we talked about there will be impossible for you to walk in. It will be impossible. In the flesh, it will be impossible. But only when you walk in the Spirit... Can you overcome these things? You can stop sinning and you can control your mouth without three layers of duct tape around it. But for some of us, that's the only way we can do it. With three layers of good, strong tape around our mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. You know how, easy, you know how difficult it is to not retaliate when somebody's reading you the right act? You all know where I'm coming from? Yeah, how hard it is just to keep your mouth shut and just sit there. Because remember, when you're reviling against someone, you do not know their heart. So you don't know where they're coming from. You may think you know them, but I guarantee you don't. You don't know who they are. Only God knows the heart. That's why God told us just to love each other. You don't know who I am. Nobody knows who you are except God. 
Some people say, yeah, I know him. I can read him like a book. That's not true. I'm going to tell you the truth. There's not a single person in this room that I know very well. But I'm going to tell you, there's not a human being on this earth that knows you in your entirety. I don't care. You may have been married to that mate 50 years and you still don't know them. You may think you know them, but you really don't know them. I've seen people that would live together 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and all of a sudden their mate does something. Like this one man, this one man, for instance, he died after he'd lived with the same woman for 50 years. And he was a deacon in a church, and she thought he was the most awesome man she ever seen. He wouldn't sin under no condition. She thought she knew him right side, up, upside, down, sideways, every way you could know him. She thought she knew him. And after he died, a man was going through all his stuff and found a hidden room in the back of his shop. And when they finally found a way to get into that hidden room, it was plumb full of pornography. She had no idea her husband was hooked on some of the vilest pornography in the world. She didn't know his heart. Only God knows his heart. But you don't know. You don't know anybody. You don't even know yourself. You try to know yourself, but you really don't know yourself. There's too many spirits out here that are controlling things, and we don't know this spirit world. But the spirits are doing things to us, and even we don't know ourselves because we allow these spirits to control us. Now then, after Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree in verse 24, we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. So if you are dead to sin, and let's, let's put it like this. Since what we're talking about here and other places I'm going to go before the day is over, this is as clear as it can be, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin. Did you know what God sees when he looks at you? You know, when God looks at you, when he looks at Eldon right here, he sees a skeleton. He don't see flesh and blood on this no more. He sees a skeleton. He's dead. Isn't that amazing? Now, as long as Eldon stays dead and walks in the Spirit, he's a skeleton, then that skeleton the devil cannot attack. No sickness and disease can come upon that piece of flesh. As long as he's dead. God sees him dead all the time. But we don't stay dead very well. As long as we stay dead in the flesh, we'll never sin, and you'll never Ever, the devil will never, ever be able to put sickness and disease and pain and suffering upon your body. Only when you resurrect your body and walk back into the flesh. But God sees you dead. Now then, if you stay dead, just like he said there in 1 Peter 2, 24, if he did bear our sins in his own body, we being dead to sins, by being dead to sin, we should live unto righteousness, so if we should live unto righteousness, how much sin is in living unto righteousness? Not any. There's no sin. So, if you walk wholly before God and have no sin in your life, then the next line says, by His stripes you were healed. Can you make a skeleton sick? No. 
you walk in divine health. But that's what God planned for you and me to do. Walk in divine health. Like a lady that came to a healing school the other day that got healed. She said, my sin, I would have never dreamed what my sin was. She said, I was a lady, woman, that went to church. I've studied this book. I've been a Pentecostal. I have walked in it. I know how to worship and praise. I know how to rejoice in the King. I know how to do all those things. But she said, you know what my sin was? Unbelief of the promises of God. Unbelief of the promises of God. She said, I had no idea unbelief was a sin. But wow, in Hebrews 3.12, God calls that an evil heart. If you have the evil heart of unbelief, He says, because of your evil heart of unbelief, not one single one of them inherited my rest. You know where all them people went? If they didn't enter his rest, where's the only other place to go? That alternative is pretty sad, isn't it? One of these days, I'm going to bring a video that I've seen from Hollywood about a movie that was made about their interpretation of hell. And I'm going to make a few clips out of that video, and I'm going to show it up here on the wall. And I want you to get just a little bit of an idea of what Hollywood thinks hell's like and what demons look like. And I'm going to tell you the best they can do is not even close to what's really there. But when you see this in the flesh, if this don't rattle your cage when you see what they've come up with, what they think hell is like, and it's going to be far worse than that. Man, that don't light your fire to walk holy before God. There ain't nothing can light your fire. People say, I hate a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Well, I, they ought to be more of them. That's all i got to say. I mean, I know several people, friends of mine, says, I was, I was a 12-year-old boy, and I was just beginning to learn how to sin and do all kinds of things. And I went to church one night, and there's a guy up there, and he's preaching about hell and how bad it's going to be. And if I didn't accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was going there. He said, man, I couldn't wait. When that guy gave it him to, I was running down, I don't want to go to hell. Well, let me tell you, E.V. Hill had the answer. And I saw when he was in, uh, I can't even think of that church down there in Florida now, that big church. Who was it? Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, Fort Lauderdale. That's where it was. He was in Fort Lauderdale at that big church down there. And I don't even know how big it is, but uh, the pastor is well known. He's on television and everything else. And E.V. Hill, he's this Baptist preacher from California, a black Baptist preacher. It goes up, was raised in a log cabin down here in South Texas. I mean, that's back in the days when a black person couldn't do nothing. You was trash if you were black. But see, we've made a lot of mistakes in our life. But E.V. Hill's mother, she was a woman of faith, and she sent him to college and sent him to and, uh, seminary and everywhere else. And he became a preacher and became a well-known, powerful preacher. And this guy's down there standing up there in that big church. And he said, you know, there is a hell, and it's real. And it's fire, and it's burning, and there's worms there that crawl in and out of your flesh. And he said, when I heard a preacher preach about that, he said, there's one reason I got saved, and one reason only. And he said, I didn't want to go to hell. Now he said, anybody in this place that don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior is going to go to that place of hell. And he opened the floor at that great big church, and I'm telling you, the front was covered with people. 
I saw that on, t- on television. You'd think everybody in a church like that would already be saved. But see, they had never really understood what hell was. That's why we go out and sin, because we don't realize the consequences of sickness and disease that's going to come upon us. The devil has well hidden this from us. I don't think there's a person in this room today wants to be sick. And certainly not a person in this room wants to have cancer or something, destroying diseases that eat your flesh away. But something Cheryl and I have noticed, and especially she picked up on this, she says, honey, one of the things I've noticed that everybody we've ministered to in the last year since I've been with you, every one of them that had cancer had some kind of unforgiveness. Either they did or their mate did. So, the scripture clearly says, don't walk in unforgiveness because it will open the doors to the torturing, tormenting spirits. No sin. Is it okay for a child of God to sin? No. Can you sin? Yes. Will it bring consequences? Yes. And you ain't going to like them. So people say, well, I'm just an unworthy sinner. I'm a Christian. I can't keep from sinning. When you learn the consequences of sin and learn what you can do, and that it's not okay for you to sin, and there is a consequence, let me tell you, it's kind of like that old story. This is kind of a joke, and I have trouble telling this, but I believe today I can tell it. There was a man walking through a graveyard one night, and he fell in an extra deep grave. And it was dark, and he tried to get out. He jumped and jumped, but he couldn't get out. He tried everything he could to get out of that grave, and he finally gave out. He was exhausted, so he just sat down over in the corner. He thought, well, I'll wait till daylight. Somebody will come by, and I'll holler, and they'll get me out. And he can't get out. He don't think. But he says, in a little while, another man came in. And he fell in, and he did the same thing. He was over there in the corner, jumping, 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 trying to get out. He couldn't get out. And the guy sat and he arrested. And he finally said, there's no use to try. You can't get out. But when he spoke, that guy got out. <laughs> he got that little extra boost of a thrill when he did to get out. You think you can't do things, but under certain conditions, you can do things. I mean, I've heard people say that my husband, he can lift 150 pounds. But that's all he can lift. But one day, one of his children got hung under something, and he weighed 500 pounds, and he picked that booger up off of his child. You've heard of those kind of stories, haven't you? Later, come back and say, can you pick that up? There ain't no way you can touch that. But I mean, under certain conditions, the adrenaline and the Holy Spirit can move in your life, and He can make that piece of flesh do things beyond your wildest dreams. But you want to serve God in no sin. Now then, he told us clearly there that if we will do those things, then let's go to 1 John 1. 1 John 1. Let's step over a few pages to the right to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. And this is the scripture that so many people throw at me when I say we're not supposed to sin. I mean, even a pastor of a huge church, I spoke over here at a huge church within the last couple of years, and this pastor in this church told me and told some of those people there, said, Thurman don't know what he's talking about because it's impossible for a Christian to walk without sin. Well, okay, one of us is wrong. 
So I'm going to tell you what the Word says. I'm not going to say he's right or I'm right. I'm just going to say what the Word says, and then I'm going to let you take it and do with whatever you want to. Well, this is the verse they throw at me in 1 John 1, uh, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you from the time you were born until now know you have sinned? I mean, if you didn't hold your hand up, you're lying and you're sinning right now. Because there's not a single person in this place... That especially the first few years of your life, when you were not a born-again Christian, it was impossible for you to walk with no sin. I don't care how good you were or whatever, you sinned and sinned probably hundreds or even thousands of times. And those of you that weren't raised in a good Christian home and really had a great mother and father, there's no telling how many times you sinned. I was ministering to... A young lady, I ministered to lots of young ladies that have had this problem. And this is so unfortunate. Young women that three years old was physically sexually abused by their father. I mean, I can't fathom that, folks. I mean, I raised one beautiful daughter. That, that, I, can't, I can't even go there. I can't associate with that. So I don't know how they do that, other than they have a demon. That is the only, only explanation I have for a man that can sexually abuse his own child. And, of course, Cheryl and I went down the other day to East Texas, actually Tennessee. And when we got off the airplane, the lady that picked us up there, in the next two hours as we drove, she told us, her story about how she wanted to be free, totally free, about how from the time she was three until she was 18 when she left home, how she was sexually abused and sometimes up to five times a week between her brother, her brothers, her uncles, her daddy. And she said with three girls that slept in the same bedroom and she said we all fought to see who could sleep in the closet. Nobody wanted to sleep in the bed. Because we knew, chances are, before the night was over, somebody was going to come in that room. And I told her, I said, well, why, after you got big, after you got 12 or 14 years old, why didn't you resist? She said, I did, until I'd had my jaw broken three times, and then I just quit. Men come into her room, own family, wiped out on alcohol or drugs, and then she said, when my daddy came in one night and beat me so brutally that the next morning, when I was down at breakfast, when my daddy came down, he looked me right in the eye and he said, who done this to you? What happened to you? And she said, I was in awe. I couldn't even speak. Finally said, I demand that you tell me who did this to you. And said, my sister sat in there and said, daddy, you did it to her. He said, what? She said, Daddy, I was hiding in a closet last night when you beat her. I saw you beat her like this. 
and I saw you rape her. He checked himself into a mental institution. Who was in control of a daddy like that, Sharon? And we think we have a bad life sometimes? You talk about a woman that went through hell on earth? That makes you grateful, doesn't it, Katie? Makes you grateful. See, you don't know anybody's heart. When you deal with people, you walk up to somebody, you have no idea what they've lived through. So that's why God told us, don't make judgments against people. You don't know their heart. You don't know where they're coming from. They may be bitter against the world. I think about another woman that told us. She said, I, in fact, it was that same woman. She said, I hated my mother. I hated my mother with a passion. She said, because I went to my mother and told me what was happening. And my mother said, honey, I can't do nothing about it. I, I just, I, I don't believe it. I can't help you. And she said, I thought, I hated my mother, knowing she knew this, and she allowed this to go on. And she said, then when my mother died, I said, I'm glad you're dead. And then the Lord showed her a vision right before her very eyes. Showed her when she was a little bitty girl with other little children sitting around. And the mother there, and the daddy walked in, and he looked at that mother and said, If you ever tell these kids anything, I'll cut your body apart with a knife. I'll kill you. And then I'll, first of all, before I kill you, I'll kill every one of them in your presence. And then I'll kill you if you ever tell anybody or do anything. And that's what that mother lived with, Cheryl. You wonder, a woman that lived in that kind of fear? He said, if you ever think about leaving me, I'll hunt you down and I'll cut you all to pieces with a knife. How would you like to be a woman lived in something like that? You can't even dream of that, can you? With a husband like you got, a man of God that loves you, you can't even go there. But see, that girl lived in that. She lived in hell on earth. And so the Lord showed her that vision when she said, I hate my mother and I'm glad you're dead. So she was making a judgment incorrectly because she didn't know what her mother was against, Shelley. She had no idea she only knew one side of the story. But see, the mother was doing what she had to do because she knew if she ever did anything wrong that that man in the wickedness that was in him with them demons in him, he'd come get them little kids right in her presence and he'd cut them asunder and kill them. And then after he got through killing all of them, then he'd kill her. And she lived in fear. See, you don't know what's going on in the lives of people, do you? So we make judgments. That's why God told us, don't you judge because you don't know what's going on. We think we know what's going on. We judge everything around where we're living on a day-by-day basis. I know, unfortunately, I do. You know, that's why I've had to, I had to make a decision here recently. I'm not going to expect anything of anybody. But you know, I haven't been able to do that. I'm serious. If you don't expect anything of anybody, then you can never be offended. If you don't expect anything, if your daughter walks in and reads you the riot act, if you're not expecting anything, you won't get upset, will you? But if you expect more than that, you're going to get upset. You know, how many of you know it's very difficult to go where I'm trying to tell you I'm trying to go? I have not obtained it yet. 
But God tells me to go there. He says, receive no offenses. Is that a hard place to go? Yeah. Because we expect people to do things according to our standards or what we think. But, he says, we are to have no sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we know from the time we were born until we got born again, we all sinned. If we can, verse John, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now then, my honey bunny's favorite verse is He puts my sin as far as the east is from the west and never to remember them no more. So if that verse is true and Cheryl confessed her sins last night or this morning or whenever, whenever then how many sin is in her life right now? Not. She's clean and pure. So if you've confessed your sins, how many sins do you have in your life right now? You're clean and pure. Now, are you to go sin anymore? No, absolutely not. You're not. I mean, we got first on one nine if we sin, right? But it's not there so we can sin. It's there that when we let the flesh cause us to mess up or when the devil gets into our life... And between the devil and the flesh, you've got a real battle to fight. Don't we, Keith? We know where we're coming from. Me and him both had these kind of problems all of our life. And I've got a feeling since we live in this flesh, we're going to have to fight this battle as long as we live. Don't you think so? It's unfortunate. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to overcome this beast we live in. We're trying to kill it. If we say that we have not sinned, we have made him a liar... And his word is not in us. So everybody has sin. Okay, so we know we have been sinners in the past. By little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Now see, here we come to a new place, don't we? Here we're children of God. And he says, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Is it okay for a Christian to sin, Pat? No. We're not supposed to sin, are we? He's writing these things to us to let us know we are not to sin under no conditions. And if any man sin, and if, if, if any man sin, I mean, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ, but should you have to go to Him every day to repent of your sin? No. You can walk without sin. Now then, uh, even somebody came back and told me that uh, Jesse DePlantis said the other day over there, and he's a member of the Kenneth Copeland deal, he said, you know, I don't care what anybody says, I believe with all my heart I've finally reached a place where I can go through a whole day without sinning. Well, praise God, that's where we all should be, right? I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to go to a convention where the pastors are sitting up there saying, I'm just an unworthy sinner. I sin all day, every day, and he's standing for teaching me the Word. I don't want to hear that. Because that doesn't line up with the Word, does it? No. If we sin, but we're not supposed to sin. These things I write to you, my little children, that you sin not. Is it okay for a Christian to sin? No, absolutely not. Do we probably far, sin far more times than we should? Yes. When we do, we do have the advocate with the Father. We can come through Jesus Christ and we can confess our sin. But from the time you sin, 
until you confess that sin, you've opened the door to the demonic world. You fell from grace. You're back under the law. And the devil has a legal right to run and hit you. And I'm going to tell you, he'll make you sick. Now, some of you, there's probably not very much spiritual activity going on around you at this point. You know why? Because some of you are no threat to the kingdom. A kingdom of hell. You're living in sin anyway. The devil's got you right where he wants you. So there's very little spiritual activity. He sent a couple of little medium demons to you. You know. But if you take some of you men and women in here that I know, that you're doing everything you can to walk holy before God. I mean, you've learned how to pray the prayers of faith. I mean, you're going, you're going back to your Methodist church, your Pentecostal church, or your Baptist church. And when somebody says, well, gee, Brother John said he's sick. And you jump up and say, well, let's come to front. Let's get on our face and everybody repent of your sins and let's cast them devils out of Brother John. Well, what kind of a crazy guy are you? We throw you out of church for teaching them kind of things. That's right. <laughs> Isn't that a sad state of affairs? Throw, get thrown out of church for praying. Raise your hand and pray. Oh, God, Lord, we believe you're the healer. And they say, whoa, wait a minute, this guy. Let me tell you, those kind of people, there's some spiritual activity going on around you. Them demons of hell are there to watch over you. God's got his angels there to watch over you. Because there's a spiritual battle going on. That devil knows you're a threat to the kingdom and that to his kingdom. And he don't want you to do nothing. So he is watching over you closely. I mean, I can just see it now walking down the street. Here goes a guy down the street, maybe one little tiny demon and one little bitty tiny angel following along beside him, or maybe no angels at all. And there's another one over here, two or three demons. But the demons are kind of laughing and joking, cutting up. They, he know he ain't no threat. They got him right where they want him. But all of a sudden, here's some, some guy down the sidewalk. Praise the Lord! Anybody in this place know Jesus? Glory to God! Let me talk to you about Jesus. Ooh, there is demons and angels. I mean, there's an activity going on. There's a cloud around that guy. You know where I'm coming from? Them demons say, let me get through to here. Let me get, let me shut him up. And them angels said, boy, ain't no way you go. Back off, boys, back off. Them angels, there's a war going on right there. You know it? You're a tremendous threat to the kingdom. This guy's going down the street doing what God said. He's rejoicing. And again, I say rejoice. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you the best thing ever happened to me. Oh, you're sick. You got a problem. Let me pray for you. Let me kick that devil out of you and Jesus will heal you right now. Ooh, the people on the sidewalk saying, this guy's nuts. Lock him up. But that's, that's where you're going to have to go. No sin. Walk holy before God. No sin. Now then, let's go to a place that couldn't be any clearer. Let's go to Romans 6. Actually, I'm going to start in Romans 5. Romans 5 and Romans 6. This, if, if, you, if, you don't miss, if you don't get it here... You're really, really got a problem. Because Paul don't just say it once or twice in here. But Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 8. Romans 5, 8. But God commandeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news for me. I believe I was just like you at one time. I was absolutely... I, as far as God's concerned, I was a wicked sinner. Although I was raised up in a good Christian home, went to church all my life. I mean, I never got involved in drugs, alcohol, nicotine, none of that junk that the world lives in. Sexual sins, all that stuff. Never got involved in all that stuff. You know, I was a pretty 
clean-cut kid at home. Thank God that I was raised in a home like that. That mother and dad, mother loved us. She didn't scream and whip us and only dad spanked us when we really needed it. And I didn't get very many spankings because it didn't take long. With that razor trap, I learned I didn't want no more of that thing. You know, that hurt. That thing hurt. So you, you learn pretty quick. You know, I mean, you just think about the fear of daddy, so you quit sinning. Well, pretty easy. So praise God. But anyway, much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. By the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. Okay. So if that's true, now then we get saved. God is such a merciful and gracious God. It's okay that if he loved us enough while we were yet wicked sinners, and he saved us through all this, now he saved us, it's just okay to go out and do anything you want to do. It's God understands. Oh, you don't agree with that? I was taught those kind of things. So what is wrong with this? I guess I didn't read far enough. As you go on down through these scriptures, you'll see here what he's talking about, how by one man's offense sin entered the world, and, and so on and so forth. And then we come to a very, very powerful verse in verse 17. And I've made a complete teaching on one of our teachings, how to reign and I, that 90-minute tape has revolved around this one verse. And I go all over the Word of God and get scriptures to confirm what I say here. For if by one man's offense death reigned. You know what that was? That's when Adam sinned. Death came in to all mankind because of Adam's sin. So by one man's offense death reigned. By one. Much more, they, that's supposed to be us, the Christians, they which receive abundance of grace which is Christ, and of the gift of righteousness, shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So right there you see that if you will receive this abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, and if you'll walk in obedience to it, and you'll be an obedient child, just like he said over there in Second Timothy a while ago, if you will purify yourself from all sin, all iniquity, Walk holy before God, then you will be a vessel unto honor that the king will use for his service. People say, man, I would love to hear God answer my prayer. No problem. Purify yourself from sin. Start putting him first in everything you do. Read his word and study and do everything he says to do in his word. And I guarantee you, when you straighten your act up and start walking holy before God, he will start using you mightily. Somebody say, okay, I'm going to walk holy tonight and I want to see him raise the dead tomorrow. Let me tell you, it don't work like that. I've only seen one person raised from the dead in my entire life. Only one. I had a preacher here a while back say, when's the last time you saw somebody raised from the dead? He was talking about some of these things. And I started to jump up in that Baptist church and say, I saw one. But I thought, yes, I better not in this Baptist church. But I have. I spoke over him. He's still alive today. He lives down in Granbury, Texas. The guy was dead somewhere between 20 minutes and a half hour when I was called. I mean, you know, you've got to really have stepped off into losing your mind to think you can raise somebody from the dead. But Jesus said we could do that. And that's where my faith was that day. 
actually that night, in the wee hours of the morning, this man had a stroke, a heart attack or something, and his wife said he was sitting on the side of the bed and he screamed out, and she said the loudest roar I ever heard in my life came out of his mouth as he fell over on the dead, on the bed dead. That's what that was that came out of him. A demon of hell. Screaming as he came out of him. And he killed him. And he dropped dead and the demon left him. Paramedics were called. They got there. No heartbeat, no pulse. They shock treated him over and over. And finally after about 20 minutes or so of shock treatments everything else, no pulse, no nothing, his son-in-law, which was a paramedic, he called me and said, Thurman, we just lost him. He told me his name and said he had a heart attack and said we've been here trying everything we know. hadn't had a heart attack or a pulse in over 20 minutes and said he's gone. I said, let's pray. He said, Thurman, it's too late to pray. He's dead. I said, it's never too late to pray. What did God tell us to do? Everything in prayer and thanksgiving. With supplication, of course, let your humble request be made known unto the king. I submitted a humble request to the king and rebuked the spirit of death and commanded that spirit of death to leave that man and commanded the spirit of life to come back in him. And that son-in-law gasped. He said, my gosh, Thurman, I've got a heartbeat. He's, he's, he's alive. He said, I'm taking him to Irving to the hospital. Now then, if you've cleansed yourself and purified yourself, God will use you as an honor, a vessel fit for His service. But if you're going to go out there and live like the world does, He ain't going to use you very much. He ain't going to be associated with sin. He's not going to let you live in sin and raise people from the dead. That's probably why I hadn't been able to raise anybody else from the dead, because i got more sin in my life than I should have. Even though I'm trying to walk holy before God. But they took him down to Irving to the hospital. I got up, drove down there a long ways from where I lived down there. I got there four or five o'clock in the morning and asked where he was, and they told me. I saw a doctor coming out of his room. I said, how's he doing? He said, well, he's stable. He said, he'd been better off if he'd have stayed dead. I said, why? He said, well, the paramedics said he had no heartbeat or no pulse for 20 or 30 minutes at least. So I said, he's brain dead. You know, he said he won't no oxygen. He'll be a vegetable. He'd be better off if he'd have stayed dead. And, of course, we don't have people of faith no more. So I looked over and I said, Doc, you see those hands? He said, yes. Well, right now that's got a big blister in the palm of it where I worked last week, but that's okay. I said, you see those hands? He said, yes. I said, there's an anointing power of God in those hands. I said, I'm going to lay hands on that man. And God said he'll get well. He didn't say he'll be a vegetable. And, of course, he looked at me and didn't say a word, just walked off. What would you expect? Miracles are not really that common in our hospitals today, are they? They're not really that common in our churches. So that tells us something about us purifying ourselves and walking holy before God. If the king we serve is not doing anything for you or not answering your prayer, you need to examine your life because I guarantee you don't have it straight with him. He answers prayer of faith after you walk in love and holiness. But that man in three weeks was back at work, fully recovered. He worked till he retired. And he's still fully good shape. He's still alive and well. I talked to him here a while back on the telephone. 
He lives in Granbury, Texas. He retired and him and his wife bought a little home down there on the lake and he's fishing and enjoying life. Isn't that amazing? But yet a few years ago he was stoned dead. Seems like I read in the Word where Jesus said we're supposed not only to lay hands on the sick, we're supposed to raise the dead. We sure don't see much of that, do we? I think about a man... Uh, Ty and I was talking about Shackleton. What's the what? Bob Shadows. Bob Shadows. Shadows. Bob Shadows, yeah. I went to a church. I heard Bob Shadows. Bob Shadows was a Baptist. But Bob Shadows got fed up with not seeing God do nothing. And he went to God and told him, said, Lord, I want to see you do something like you say you do in this book. And the Lord spoke to him. said, Bob, I heard Bob tell this myself. When I was over in East Texas listening at a church where he was teaching, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I will only confirm what you teach. If you're willing to teach salvation, people will be saved. If you'll teach or preach healing, I will heal them. He said, Lord, I want to see somebody raised from the dead. He said, preach it. So Bob said that next Sunday he preached Jesus is the one that raises from the dead. And he preached all those scriptures he could find about that. He said, man, I really thought I'd done a good job. He said, Monday about noon, my phone rang. I said, Brother Shatters, we need you to come down to the hospital. He said, oh, what's wrong? We got somebody sick? He said, no, my husband John passed away about an hour ago and I want you to come down here and raise him from the dead. He said, I wilted. He said, I got on my... He said, you want me to... I said, yeah, yes, you preach. You said yesterday, God raises from the dead. You're the pastor, so come down here and put your hands on him. And I want him back alive. Oh, you talk about a Baptist preacher that goes into agony. He falls on his face. Oh, God, if you don't show up, Lord. Oh, he's in trouble. He said, I go down there at that hospital, I walk in, one of them little grandchildren, they ain't excited enough. Grandma's been telling them, Brother Shadow's coming down here, and he's going to raise Grandpa from the dead. There ain't no problem. So there ain't nobody in tears. When Brother Shadow raised one of them grandbabies, Brother said, Oh, Brother Shadow, praise the Lord, you're here to raise my granddaddy from the dead. And he says, Quiet, son, quiet. <laughs> oh, you talking about putting a Baptist preacher to the death? That'll put a Pentecostal preacher to the death. He said, I went in there in that room where John was. And he said, I looked over there and that doctor sitting there said, she won't let me do nothing until you get here. And he said, I looked over there and said, the doctor, he knows she's crazy and he knows I'm crazy. <laughs> and he said, I look over there, John, and said, John, said, I walk over and touch John and said, he's hard and he's stone cold dead. <laughs> he said, I'll fall on my knees and oh God. If there's ever a time you need God, it's right there. You ever felt helpless? Let me tell you what life and death is at stake. You're helpless. But he cried out to God. He had preached it the day before. And that day, he said, when I laid my hands on him, said, I closed my eyes. I said, oh, Lord, only you know. I said, I'm understanding what Ezekiel felt like. But he said, Lord, I command life back in, Brother John. And he said, I heard a scream. And I opened my eyes, and Brother John's eyes was open. He's looking right straight at me, blinking his eyes. He said, I thought, oh, God, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and he healed him. He raised John up, and John raised from the dead, and he did live. 
And he got up and walked off of there. See, why, why does God not do nothing for us? Because we don't believe He can. And so when we don't believe, that's sin. Is Christian supposed to sin? No. No. But that's like here a while back. There was a lady called me just two or three months ago. And she wanted me to fly to another state and raise her 29-year-old son from the dead. I told her, ma'am, I don't have that kind of faith. I just can't do it. I mean, the boy overdosed on drugs. You know, he didn't live, he didn't live a good Christian life. He killed himself. I don't know. But I didn't have the faith. I just told her. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I don't have the faith to get on an airplane and waste your money coming. From. I don't believe when I get there the boy's going to be raised from the dead. So there, if I don't believe that, ain't no use in me going. But that day the woman bought me an airplane ticket to go to Corpus to pray over a woman that's going to die in a week. I said, sure, I'll go. I had faith when I left that woman was going to be healed. And I'm telling you, that woman was instantly healed of terminal cancer. Supposed to die in a week. And that woman gained her weight back, became a beautiful woman, and lived for several more years, praise God. And then because of a wrong statement by her husband one day, and the husband gave medicine the glory. She wasn't even in a doctor's office. She got healed right there under the presence of my hands as Jesus touched her and healed her and raised her up and was instantly healed. And years later, her husband made a statement something like this. She got well because of the uh, herbs and things that I give her. It wasn't God. And let me tell you, that beautiful woman in 30 days was stone dead. He made that statement. I thought, I can only see God say, okay, if you don't believe I sent my servant Thurman down there to raise that woman up and heal her, if you think them herbs and, and that medicine and those uh, health foods you've been feeding her, if that's what had done it, then let me just back off and let you and them health foods have it. And I'll tell you, when he did, bam, 30 days, she's dead. You don't make fun of God. You walk holy before Him. Now then, after reigning and ruling with Christ, this is where we're supposed to live if we'll walk in obedience to God's Word in Romans 5.17. But then after all these wonderful things that He's given us in verse chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What is His answer? Oh, what do you think God forbid means? I mean, what is it we don't understand about that? God forbid. In other words, is that something like this? You come up and say, Thurman, can I have your new pickup? I say, No. You understand what that means? God forbid that you have my new pickup. Yeah, Cheryl says no too because that's, that's hers. <laughs> she loves driving around that little five-speed. I didn't know I had a race car driver on my end until I got that little pickup. Whoa! I'm back in the days when I was a teenager. You know, hang on, put your seatbelt on, Snoopy. You know, whoa, what are you? I didn't know I was married to a race car driver. But she loves to zip around that little truck. But I'm sure glad God brought me that little truck. I mean, you talk about a blessing, a 2002 with 14,000 miles on it for $5,800. You talk about a deal. Talk about a blessing from God. I mean, you know, I, you know, a man of faith, Sunday night a couple of weeks ago, I went into the Internet after we got home midnight from church. I went in and said, Lord, I believe I need a vehicle that gets better gas mileage. I don't know why you're putting this on my heart. But I, I need a little, I think maybe a Ranger pickup or something. And I'd like that one, but I said, Lord, I only got $6,000 to spend on one. I don't want to finance it. I want to be able to pay cash for it. So I've got to have one 
I said, probably I can buy one for that price between a 95 and a 2000, maybe, if it's got a lot of miles on it. But I put in a search, 95 to 2000 or under $6,000. And he come up with this 2002, which was one of many of them in there, 98s, 99s, you know, that 100,000, 90,000 miles for 59.95 or whatever. But I really didn't want one of the 100,000 miles on it. I didn't really want that. But there was this 2002 with 13,000 miles on for 5,800. And me, the man of faith, I said, oh, that's got to be a misprint. <laughs> you see, does God put your faith to the test? Of course He does. I thought that's got to be 130,000 miles, not 13,000 miles, because there ain't no 2002 out there with 13,000 miles on it for $5,800. Can't be, because all these others were way more than that. I mean, a, a 99 to a 2,000 with 40, 30 or 40,000 miles on it, it's eight or $9,000. I thought that's got to be a misprint. So the next morning, I got up and that was on my heart, and I thought, I'm going to call them to see. So I called them and see. Sure enough, it wasn't a misprint. So we bought it that day. You know? Oh, a great little truck. I mean, you know, Really? A blessing. God says, I'm trying to bless your son and you won't even take it. You, no faith. I, can you imagine what he said to me? No faith. Oh, you asked me for this and here I put it right there and no faith. What's wrong with you? Is that a sin? Yes, it is. I was sinning before God because I didn't have enough faith. Shall we, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Look what the continuation of his answer is. How shall we that are dead to sin? Didn't we read over in 1 Peter 2 a while ago, we're dead to sin? Well, here again, Paul's telling us we are dead to sin. So if we stay dead to sin, he says, How, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you, know you not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ, we were raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. You know what happens to most of us? He said, when you baptize, you put you down to death. Most of us go down in the baptism tank and come right back up and we don't die down there. They didn't hold you under long enough. You need to be held down a little longer. You agree? I should have been held down a whole lot longer when I was a little boy, 11 years old, when they baptized me, because I had no idea what was going on. Because I'm telling you, I didn't die in that tank. I can tell you for many, I did many things wrong when I was 11 until I was 20. Now, and I was a Christian from the time I was 11 to I was 20. Now, if I had been taught right off the bat that I'm supposed to be dead to sin, I'm not supposed to sin no longer, it would have made a change in what I would have done, how I would have lived. And it would sure have made a change if somebody had told me, there's demons out there. If you walk in obedience to God's Word, those demons can't touch you. But if you sin, them demons can get you. That would have had an impact on me. What is a demon? Oh, it's no problem. You know, you commit a little sin and he just comes into your... Oh, just no, no problem. Just like I had back trouble. 
a little demon just comes into your back, and about six times over the 20 years, he puts me down with a serious back pain so severe I can't even walk. Walk on crutches, you know, lay flat on my back for a week at a time. Oh, that's just reach, just happened to reach over, big old strong guy, reach over in the back of a pickup, pick up a 50 pound piece of equipment, start to pick it up. Ah, oh, 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 can't even move. Start to go home that afternoon. <laughs> Drive my car, raise my foot up like I'm going to step on a brake pedal, and it's like somebody's back or hitting me with a two before in the back. I'm telling you, that's a demon. How do you get in? Because of them sins I committed. What sins? Who knows? All number of them. Anything you do that's not of faith is sin. There's a consequence to sin. So if somebody had told me that this wasn't going to happen to me, I'd have straightened my act up. I wouldn't have sinned near as much. I guarantee you. But when I learned to walk holy before God and to walk in faith, that these demons can't touch me. That made a tremendous difference. Now I want to do what he says. Because I realize there's a consequence if I don't. But there's a blessing if I do. No sickness and no disease. Boy, that's wonderful. No sin, no sickness. Some people don't believe that in the church. Well, let me tell you, if the more you read this book, in fact, Dave Rosenfeld, which is going to ORU right now, he told me the other night, I said, Thurman, the more I read this book, the more convinced I am, just exactly what you've been teaching us all this time, there is no sickness without sin. The more in depth I read and study, and the more I learn about the Hebrew and the Greek, the more I believe what you teach is absolutely what the Word of God says. That no sin, no sickness. Now, I know... That nobody in here wants to have sick days, do you? No, none of us do. I didn't either, but I had plenty of them until I learned how to walk by faith. But walking by faith is definitely not easy. It takes some kind of study to get this in your heart. But when he says, Therefore we are buried with him at baptism unto death, that we should... That like us, Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There again, if you should walk in the newness of life like Christ walked, how much sin was in Christ? None. So how much sin should there be in our lives as Christians? None. Quite a goal to shoot for, isn't it, Larry? Quite a goal. But it's obviously an unattainable goal, right? And boy, when we get there. The answer to our prayers are out of this world, aren't they? And even as we begin to approach that, the answer to our prayer almost becomes out of this world. We realize that we can pray, and He understands our heart, and He doesn't require us to get to perfection before He does answer prayers. Aren't we glad? Because if He did, we'd probably never get one answered, would be Katie? Never. But since we're learning and we're working and we're trying We're going up that ladder all the time. As we learn to pray, He releases His prayer power to us and we begin to see Him do wonderful things. And the further up that ladder of faith we get, the greater become the answers to our our answers or to our prayer. And the greater become those answers, the more awesome God becomes to you. I love seeing Him do these kind of things. Then He says, Let's go on over to another. Verse 7 says, For he that is dead is free from sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. 
Now, if we be dead, there is that if again. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death has no more dominion over us. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He dieth, He liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but live unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You're going to have to take authority over that sin. That lust is going to come to you. You're going to have to take authority. You're going to have to capture it. You're going to have to throw it away in the name of Jesus. And if you do, you won't live in the lust thereof. You know, when somebody, I mean, you, you get over this, you, you got a $100,000 house already, and your neighbor buys a $150,000 house. And you go by and look at where your neighbor moved to a new community, and you think, gee, I sure would like to move over here. I'm already strapped where I'm at now making payments on this $100,000 house. But, you know, maybe if I put my wife to work too, maybe both of us working, we could live over there where he lives. What do you need to do with that lust? Throw it out the window. You don't need that $100,000 house. In fact, if you're going to think like that for a little while, sell that beast and buy you a $30,000 trap somewhere and live in it for a while. Then you'd be real grateful to come back to that $100,000 one. Right, Elton? Yeah. You'll be grateful then for the 100000 one. You know, we are blessed in America beyond our wildest dreams. We are so blessed we just don't know how blessed we are. But God is telling us, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then, in verse 15, shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? What's his answer in verse 15? God forbid. So let's ask this question in closing for today. Is it okay for a Christian to sin? No. And why do so many Christians sin? Because we don't know what this book says. Now, this is the the very last scripture I'm going to go to today, and I'm going to go to this one, and this is the one that clenches it. 1 John 5. First John 5, verse 17. Actually, verse 16. We're almost start verse 16. First John 5, 16. If any man see his brother sin. Now, a brother sees his brother sin. That means some of us is going to sin. If any man sees his brother sin a sin which is not unto death. Whoa, wait a minute. A sin unto death? If I sin, I might die? What should that make us as Christians want to do? I mean, if, you're, if, you, if your wood's not that wet this morning, you ought to say, goodness gracious alive, if there is a sin unto death, I don't want to sin at all. Because how do you know when you might sin the sin unto death? Well, you say, well, okay, I'm already 30 years old. I've lived a long time. I'm ready. I'll just go ahead and do what I want to do anyway. Well, guess what? You ain't going to get very old. If you're a Christian, you're not going to get very old. You're going to sin the sin unto death. Do you see people that are Christians die at that age? Sure you do. Why? There's sins that open the doors. 
that kills us. If any man see a brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you should pray for it. Now, I don't know what that is. So I try to pray for everybody, for everything. I don't know unless God tells me they've sinned a sin unto death. But I have had him tell me that a couple of times. And I've seen people that died. And the sin unto death is different. It's not just one particular sin. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that there is a sin that's not unto death. Because if there wasn't, we'd all already be dead. He's merciful. And then verse 18, We know that whosoever is born of God does not sin. Are you born of God? Are you supposed to sin? Is it okay for you as a Christian to sin? No. But look what the, look what their answer is if you do not sin. Now, if you sin... What could happen to you? What do you say could happen to you if you sin? You could die. You could get sick. You could be in the hospital. You could go take that two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars you've saved all your life and you're fifty, sixty years old. You think, I got enough money now to buy me a motor home and just go across the country and rest. Do whatever I want to do. I won't have to worry about nothing. But yet you didn't serve God in us. You have sinned a sin unto death, and at fifty years old you die, and then guess who's going to enjoy all your money? Somebody else. Wouldn't this be wonderful to be a man that worked all your life away? You didn't spend any time with your wife or your children. And you built you a tremendous empire. You didn't serve God. And you got to be 50 years old. You thought, now then, I'll just get rid of that woman that I didn't love in the first place. And I'll marry me a pretty one. And I'll take that half a million dollars. Me and her will go have a good time. And the next day you drop dead. And your wife marries a good guy. And her and him get to enjoy the money together. (laughs) Ain't that just like God? Wouldn't he do something like that? Sure. Isn't that amazing? You make all that money, work hard and all that, and then some guy that didn't even work for it comes in, takes your wife, and marries her, and goes off and takes all your money, and him and her go enjoy a life for the next 20, 10 or 20 years on your money. See, it don't do no good to do all that, does it? Not at all. So then he says there, And all unrighteousness sin, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, But he that is begotten of God keeps himself from sin. If you're a child of God, you walk holy in obedience to His Word. And look what the promise is if you will do that. The evil or the wicked one, which is the devil, cannot touch you. I don't know about you, but I want to walk where the devil can't touch me. If the devil come to steal, kill, and to destroy, I don't want nothing to do with that devil. And if opening the door through sin allows that beast to come into my house, I don't want that beast in my house. Do you, Elder? You and me have seen the results of sin in too many, too many times in our own life and in other people's life around us. So we don't want nothing to do with sin, do we? We don't. We want to walk holy before God. Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you for your promises in this book. I thank you, Lord, for giving us this magnificent book, this owner's manual. That we can read it. We can study it. But we have to do what it says. We have to obey it. And if we will obey and do what this says, you will do what you said. And you will bless us abundantly. And we will be satisfied with a long, healthy life if we walk in faith and love with you.
And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.